I'm Scott Snyder, uh, writer of American Vampire and Batman and Noctera, which is a bunch of stuff, uh, death metal, and you are listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Citizens of the Republic of Spoilerverse, welcome back! For the country, I'm Kenneth Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And are you buckled in? <laughs> are you sitting? Are you ready for this? Because we have the man, the myth, the legend, and he's only in his early 40s. So this guy's yeah. going to be around for a long time. And it is. I don't know, Johnny. I had so much fun talking with him. He is a writer of Batman, American Vampire. He's written on yep. Detective. He's got a new Swamp Kickstarter thing. called Noctura One. Yep. And he's got a behind-the-scenes book on what him and Tony Daniels did to get this thing to into your hands. With And it's coming yeah. out through Image. But the behind-the-scenes is available on Kickstarter, and I highly suggest checking it out. I, I backed it. I backed it. And it's Scott Snyder, isn't it? Oh, man. it's This was so much fun. Scott was such a great guy. He's so much fun to talk with. Within the first minute or two of talking with him, I thought to myself, this is going to be good. And then we had a great conversation. Man, I can't wait to have him back on. It was just, I felt like we could have kept talking. We're just going to say this. Listen, the first thing, I was a huge fan of Witches when it came out. Yeah. We're going to talk about Witches right off the bat. Take a listen. And then we'll do a little write-up on the website for everybody, so that way we can get it out there, and hopefully people will pick up on it. But he's awesome. Well, yeah, let's just get into it and well, come back well, and talk well, at well, the end. Because- okay, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Here's Scott Snyder in his own words. All right, guys, welcome back today on the show. It's super exciting because... If you've been following comics in the last, I don't know, 12, 14 years or so, then he's been one of the preeminent writers, and it's been an amazing run on Batman and Justice and League and Witches, which I, I, I got to ask you about Witches later. And and he's got sure. a new Kickstarter coming out with Tony Daniel called Noctura One. You guys need to check it out. Scott Snyder, thank you so much for coming on. No, it's a pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks. No, for that's awesome, man. Uh, I got, the first question I got to ask you is when Witches came out, man, I, I, I was like, I read all the stuff coming up to it. It's coming out. You know what I mean? Leading up to it. 
Yeah. And I was super excited. And I, I loved that book. Jacques' work was amazing. Are we going to get any more? Right. Or is or are we done? Yes. I promise you. No, I promise you will. We've been saying yeah. it forever. I feel yeah. so bad that we didn't get back to it earlier. But we did We did a second arc that was like a, a shorter yep. kind of truncated story called The Bad yep. Egg. And then we were planning our, our third arc, which brings those characters together, Sailor and oh, Sebastian. Cool as part of the irons and takes place in the Southwest where they're pulled up away from any big trees <laughs> looking for uh witches in the Southwest that are like this different species of which for the irons. And then they wind up going back to the Northeast because sailor starts to believe that her father might still be alive in, in this borough. So it's this big, it's this kind of big epic story. And what happened was he started jock. We started doing a new book that would require very little of him and more of me, like a prose, part prose and part yeah. art. And that's going to be released through Best Jacket, through my new yeah, thing, your company, um, right? down the line. Yeah, I don't even know. I haven't really spoken about that one yet, about the jock one, but I'm really excited nice. about it. Uh, and nice. so we planned on doing Witches on the Side, and then he... He got an offer from Jeff Lemire to do a short, to do a book, and they've been working on that. So the goal is, and then what happened was we were going to do it like a month ago. (laughs) And then the movie company that, this is so inside baseball, but like the movie company that bought Witches from Us, Plan B, New Regency. That was a huge thing. Brad Pitt bought the rights already? (laughs) (laughs) I, I know I have yet to meet uh, Mr. Pitt, but that would be, I would definitely yeah. geek out. I, I, anyway, I'm like, I love you. Oh man, I loved him in the, 12 uh, Monkeys. The, oh, too late, right? too late. Yeah. Oh, that movie was so good. <laughs> so the, but they decided they repurchased it for yeah. TV because they read more of our plan for our three oh, and decided that they wanted to expand the yeah. whole mythos. So then we were like, all right, if you involve us more. And so they hired Jock as art director and me as to do the pilot and to do a couple episodes of it. Wow. So exciting. we're just starting that right now. Yeah, I'm really excited. So it's not, I don't even think it's like public yet, but we're in the middle of that. Should we bleep right now, all that so, out or so people starting. just don't know what it is? No. no? no okay. No. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I, it's, it's the contracts are already, everything's signed. So there's no, <laughs> we're all stuck with each other now. But the, we're really excited about it, and this format is cool. We just we're literally just at the beginning stages, so we can't wait to, uh, of the process of, of writing and writing it and designing it. That's why we were like, let's get this up and running, and then we'll do arc two, or you know, official arc two, kind of arc three together. So we will definitely start that as soon as he's done with the Jeff Lemire book, and we have this stuff settled in the next couple months. So we 100. percent Oh, that's that. exciting. So we're doing that. Yeah, that and this book doesn't require much of him because it's like spot illustrations over a journal over prose. So it's, yeah, we'll do well, those two things in 20, 2021. Awesome. We ran into Jacques at SDCC 2017 and we had just started this podcast. So we were nobody. We hadn't talked to anybody, uh, yeah. but he sat and talked to Johnny for and I for like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. He was really nice. Yeah. And he goes, super cool. Oh, he's like the nicest dude. He has not one mean bone in his body. Except <laughs> if you're like really aggressive, if you really aggressively talk about football, uh, like soccer, in front of him, it's this like weird Hulk out thing where he hates it. So don't do that. But outside of that, I'll tell you like the the funniest like knowing Jock to me is you know he's really he's just not only one of the best spirited guys, but he's also like incredibly generous. So when I was doing Black Mirror, you know I was out of my mind terrified. Like they they basically 
hired me to do American Vampire. They asked me if I wanted to pitch for any books in the DCU. And I said, I've always wanted to do a Commissioner Gordon story about his son that was in year one and never addressed again. And and this is how I would do it. And they were like, okay, one day. And then they pitched me all this other stuff like Firestorm and all these other things. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, whatever works. But yeah, I never, I, I didn't expect to get to anything that related for years. And then all of a sudden one day they called me in and to the physical office in New York when it was there. And they were like, okay, uh, we have a big thing opening up all of detective comics, the back and the front just like was vacated. And, uh, do you want to do it? And so I was like <laughs> terrified, but I had this story in my head and I was like, I want to do it. But the artist on the book at the time was Mark Bagley Jr., who I love. And, you know, I'm ultimate Spider-Man, all that stuff is like some of my favorite, but would have obviously been like really wrong for what I wanted to do. And so I was like, you know, who I really think is amazing is Jock. And they were like, Mike Martz was Jock has like a big star and he's doing movie stuff with the losers and all this. Like, he's not going to do it. And I was like, you know, if I can ask him, what if I ask him and he says yes? And he was like, if you ask him and he says yes, you can do it. So I paid my way to San Francisco, uh, San Diego yeah. that year to meet Jock. And that was like my whole goal. <laughs> and so I only had like a couple issues of American Vampire out. And, you know, I went there and he was nice enough to meet me. I, Will Dennis, who's my editor at Best Jacket, he's like my partner with it. I set it up and I met him at this bar and I remember in the gas lamp and uh, he used this jolly big Englishman and was, let's have a beer. And I was like, yes, let's. And, and I was like, if I don't keep up with him, he's totally going to think I'm not worthy of writing Batman. I'm a wimp. I had all these like ridiculous <laughs> thoughts in my head yeah. about it. He wound up, you know, I wound up like, he's much bigger than me. So by the end I was like all tipsy and I remember being like, and then James Jr. does this. And he was like, he was like, you know what, Scott, I like this idea. Why not? Let's do it. And I was like, yes. And, and he was a star. I was like, nobody, I was nobody at this time. And he committed to a whole year of doing it with me. And I That's went amazing. home and I like typed to Mike Mark. I was like, guess what, Mike? I was like, Jock is in and in. And I passed out like on the keyboard, hand on the thing with my finger on the letter. And I still oh, remember great. And so Jock is the first big star, him and Francesco, that took a chance on me. So he has a very special place in my heart, both his family and our kids play together all the time virtually. So they play like uh, Pokemon and Zelda and all that. They're fun. That's amazing. Yeah. When we talked to him, I asked him about witches. I'm like, what's going on, man? Why is it taking so long between arcs? <laughs> and he said, and he goes, it's not Scott. It's all me. He's like, I, I just, I happened to get a job on a little movie called Star Wars. And so I had to take a break. And I was like, I was I like, okay, well, that you get a pass. All this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot. He was like, because he told me when he wasn't supposed to tell me what he yeah. was working on by way of explaining why he couldn't do it. And he then he sent me pictures of Mark Hamill wearing his robe design. And I was just like, all right, you're forgiven. That's totally cool. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> So yeah, you right. have a brand new Kickstarter. Let's tell people about Nocturra One. Maybe people heard about it as uh, Nocturnal, but you guys have rebranded it Nocturra One. And your main character, Val, driving an 18-wheeler, dealing with the night. Tell us how this came about and what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So it's based on, I've had the idea in my head forever since, you know, quite a few years ago where I was like, just playing around with this idea of fear of the dark. I had a really cute fear of the dark as a kid. And then my nine-year-old went through a really rough time with it. His room still has a million nightlights. It looks like some kind of crazy person yeah. thing. But I remember just, I was like, what if it was just night all the time? And what if the darkness was 
even scarier than, you know, we imagine it to be when we're afraid. And if it's this transformative, sinister kind of nighttime that changes anything that stays in it too long into some monstrous version of itself. And I was like, that's one of those ideas that's so simple, you know, and fun. I have to do it. I held on to it for a while and, and gamed out the story in my head a bit about what the first arc and second arc would be. And I knew I wanted to have a truck driver be the main character and, and have it be a woman and have it be it. a character who had really poor eyesight when she was very young and then had corrective surgery when she was adopted. And so she remembers this period of being in the dark and her call sign, that like red eclipse looking design on her face, like on the helmet, yeah. on her mask is, is how she saw the sun before she had the corrective surgery. So uh, what it looked like to her when she was very young. So the whole idea was just, I loved it. And I, I pitched it to Tony and he was so instrumental in coming up with so much of her background and the ideas. And we had been friends since 2010, 2011, when we'd swapped books from Detective and Batman. Awesome. And he had been really kind to me about, you know, I was terrified all over again after finishing Black Mirror and being like, all right, they figured Couldn't out imagine. probably that I'm a fraud. And then they were like, yeah, you got actually, that imposter syndrome going, going on. Batman? Oh, it's, it's yeah. forever. It never goes away. It's so funny because I bumped in. It was like right around that time when I was a, a year in or so. I they, It was at this Vertigo dinner and they sat me near Neil Gaiman, which I was so like excited about. And I was like sitting ne next to him and uh, he was like, oh, what are you so nervous about? Because he overheard me saying how yeah. nervous I was. And I was like, oh, I'm a Batman and this and that. And he was like, oh, Scott, right now you're worried you're not good enough. And soon you'll be worried you used to be better. And that's all there is. <laughs> I was like... And it was like the weirdly calming <laughs> <laughs> sentiment. And he also, by the way, at this dinner, told the most Neil Gaiman story ever, which was awesome, about how he had been invited to this shoemaking place uh -huh. in London and was the oldest shoemaker there. And then he went to the catacombs beneath it with the owner, and it's where they kept all the molds of the feet of the dead that they had made shoes oh, for. And he was like, yes, I was like, this is exactly the story I've always wanted to hear from Neil Gaiman <laughs> and a thing about... The, the molds of the feet of the dead in a catacomb of shoes in the old London's oldest. Wow, store, man. You know, that is end. so weird. So, <laughs> so anyway, gamer. yes, but Tony and I, we've been friends since about then. And, and, you know, I've always wanted to do something creator own with him on the side. And I wanted it to be something muscular and fun and high octane because it suits his style and the world building he's able to do is great too. So I just figured, you know, why not? And I pitched him this two years ago. It was about yeah. two years ago. And he loved it. And we both just happened to be coming to a period where we'd be free. And I had all these other books that I was thinking of. For oh, did we lose them? You know, where it was like almost like uh, I was able to do some of them, you know, part time. And some artists had other jobs and we do it when we could. And, but this one, I was like, look, let's make this the engine for this yeah. whole thing. And let me find a way of getting the money for it and being able to do it together and having it, you know, launch a lot of other stuff. And so we came up with the idea of this Kickstarter because we figured it killed two birds with one stone where it's like on the one hand, what makes it really different than the stuff that's out there in Kickstarter in general is that the series is already committed to image. So it's not. You don't just get it on Kickstarter. It feeds retailers and the direct market yep. as well. Like the, the retailers can buy it, buy a version of it for cost. And a uh, portion of the proceeds go to BINC to help bookstores and comic book oh, stores. Oh, that's a great anyway. idea. But it also, thanks. Yeah, but also the, the actual edition that backers buy on Kickstarter is black and white. It's unlettered. It's the script and the art. And it's got all the designs. And, and it's going to have surprise, like a short story for me. 
at the end about the first night in this new world when Val was a little girl and like all this kind of stuff that makes it special and is all about inviting you into the process. And it's also, you can get it signed if you want for not too much. And so the whole, and the hardcover signs, the soft cover isn't. So the whole idea is supposed to be to create a campaign without a lot of bells and whistles. It's essentially a way of inviting you into the, to the process, to reconnecting with fans, to allowing them to tell us what they want and then make those things without it being a lot of gimmicks and those things. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we wanted this to be, yeah, like just intimate and say, this is, this helps us because when we do create our own, I always do a big con circuit when I do create our own, especially because it demands a lot of fans. Like they're coming in without any investment in the world you're you have to build it together whereas batman they're just hoping you don't fuck it up you know they love the mythology already and you're just in there to sell them on you but they already love the whole scaffolding this is you're building the scaffolding together and so if we can't do that i'd at least like to do a campaign that says we're trying to connect with you so that was one thing and then the second thing was you know just to to be blunt like it's a really scary market right now where you know, it's exciting, honestly, and I am excited by a lot of things going on from smaller publishers. I think that the moves that what's happening at DC in terms of the the plans that they're developing yeah. now, I think are really exciting. It was really hard, the contraction that they went through and the way that they really got rid of so many people and some people who I really loved and thought should stay there and were having, you know, really great creative and commercial success. But I'm hopeful about what they're going to build on the other side, especially because at least the person that they promoted to co-EIC, Marie Javens, is, you know, I think one of the best people in comics and has been my creative partner and boss for the last few years. So I, you know, there's a lot I like and I'm hopeful about and a lot I'm, I'm concerned or scared of, but... Beyond DC, it's just, it's a really volatile marketplace, obviously, and COVID can shut things down again. You know, distribution is changing. There's all kinds of things, like just weather pattern, you know, craziness. (laughs) So what this allows us to do is when you publish an independent book, just if people want the sausage making of this kind of stuff, like you do it pretty much on your own dime for the first four or five issues, really. Because when issue three comes out is when you're starting to get paid for issue one. But by the time issue three comes out, you're really working on about issue five, you know, or issue six even. So you're working on six issues worth for free before you start seeing any returns. And I've always done that, you know, but in this market, not for me, but for my partners, that's a lot to ask to say. And if I had the money, believe me, I have the money to pay. It's not like I can't pay for Sure. Some people, but I can't. I don't have the money to Everything. pay for like Tony yeah. and Jock, and yeah, and, you'll be poor and pretty quick. I don't. I, I'm. Tr- yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. honestly like they're the, you know, and and it's not even not having the money to pay. It's that if I'm paying them right, and I have them, I'm paying them out of money I'm making from DC or whatever, and COVID shuts things down or the market dries, and so royalties are different. All of that. I'm in a position where what if I can't pay them? As much as right. I should, I, I don't want to be in. No, you, you could ruin friendships that been, way. Like, you don't want to do that. Yeah, right. And so the idea with this business model was something different, where we said, okay, what if we offer something collectible and personal, but we do it to fund the book, and then the book is already committed to the direct market, so it's not at the expense of retailers, and it gives us a war chest to be able to play with. And we didn't know if it would work. Luckily, it's yeah. gone great, like way beyond my expectations. And my pledge to to backers, which I stand by, honestly, is that beyond the funding of the book through those issues, through about issue five to six, in terms of the art team and the letterer and the editor, and we've surpassed that by a lot already. 
I'm putting money towards the next book I'm doing. So now I have money to be able to play around with in terms of, honestly, to secure the book I'm doing with somebody I haven't announced yet who's who's more of yeah. a new talent, but also with Francis Manipal, who's another person yeah. I'm doing yeah. a book with. And the beauty of Best Jacket for me is that it's not committed to any one publisher. It's not an imprint at Image, even though we have two books already, one in addition to Noctera committed at Image that isn't right. announced yet. But I have um, other Feel books. Feel free to announce, uh, Scott, all announce. you want. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not even, it's not even that I'm not right. supposed to. It's more just that I want to do right yep, by the creators. Yep, no, you got to do it the right way. I, I have art for, for example, the one with Francesco that everyone knows. I'm, I'm doing a book with Francesco Francavilla. It's 35, 40 pages That's, in. Already. We literally you know, just so have him, like, him on today. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, I, I believe me. I don't, he probably didn't say anything cause I know he's good about being careful, but a hundred percent like, and we're nice. good to go with that. So yeah. So basically over the next year and a half, essentially, but really over the yeah. next year, I'm going to be announcing, yeah, seven, between seven and That's nine awesome. books and uh, the different, how, yeah. And they're all, how different do you keep formats. so them, busy and not burn yourself out? You got kids, you got a wife, you're doing all this stuff, Scott. I worry that you're going to burn yourself out and we're not going to get these great stories that you do a fantastic job when you write. So how do you do this? Thanks, man. Honestly, the the truth is, like I said, so the book for Francesco, I wrote two years, almost two years ago with him. But the problem was I had money to pay him as we went, but I didn't have enough to make sure that was the only job he took. That would mean I needed, you know, $60,000 $60,000 in the bank for that's for eight issues. That's what it costs. And, you know, I don't of art and lettering and all of that stuff, you know, and I don't, I don't, it's usually more than that. And so I don't have, I don't have that secure to say, I can give you this no matter yeah. what with three kids and all this stuff and whatever. It's not that I couldn't do it and say, and really stress my finances out and my right. family out and say, but Francesco doesn't want me to do that either. So we're squirreling away, awesome. but I wrote it for him to tinker with for a while. And so that one's almost done. And one of the other ones is, you know, 90 pages out of 120 pages done. Awesome. And so they're not, it's not like I'm, I could never concurrently right. write seven to nine books. It's that some of the staggered. Yeah. are staggered and some of them are staggered because the artists aren't ready. Like for example, one of the artists, who's somebody I think people are really excited about isn't going to be ready until June of next year. So I'm going to write it sometime in March or April, you know, May of next year and then have it ready then. So all of it is really staggered and scheduled within an inch of its life so that I can manage things. And my commitment to DC, I still have two projects at DC post metal. Both of them are to the side of the main line. But one of them is pretty robust. And, uh, but it's not, I want to give other voices a chance and leave some oxygen in the room That's for new awesome. people, you know, and be able to get off the hamster wheel a bit <laughs> in terms of pushing the main line. And so Death Metal is very much like a goodbye to this moment. Goodbye it's to this moment. a love era. letter to, to comics there for you. It is. And it's very much about this moment in comics, even though I didn't intend it to be, it is. Now it is. Like, yeah, weirdly. So it's, it's about the heroes realizing they need to. They can't just reboot. They can't just start the universe over, even though it's gotten so crazy. What they have to do is own all of their mistakes, own everything they've done, connect to one giant story, all their history, all the stories happened, you know, and admit that whatever's on the other side of this kind of reckoning might be worse than what it is now. It might be better. They don't know, but they have to proceed bravely. And that's what the story is. So I'm really excited about it. And uh, yeah, so that's how I'm managing all of it over the course of over the well, next man, that's, years. It's so. super impressive. It's awesome. And based on what you were talking about with the Kickstarter, Johnny and I just completely backed it. So we, yeah, we, 
We, we oh, got you over you the so top, much. man. You're good to go now. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, man. Brother. I appreciate We're really blown away. I did the hardcover, black and white, signed hardcover edition, so that's going to yeah. be cool. Same. Same one for me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we're really, it's going to be beautiful. And honestly, we have enough now that we're nearing our stretch goals where we can really spruce it up, where we're going to add, you know, like all kinds of nice gloss and gold foil and the bookmark and the thing. Nice. All these things that just make the book nicer. And then we're going to add, we're, we're on target to hit some stretch goals, hopefully, that will allow us to. I'm going to yeah, add this short story to the book and all kinds cool. of fun stuff. So we have some surprises. Left oh, that's to awesome. So Scott, you went to Brown yeah. University, right? And you graduated like in 98. Did, yes. You got your degree in creative writing. What was the conversation like with your parents when you sat down and said, I'm going to be a creative <laughs> writer. That's what I'm going to do. And did they go have fun living on the streets? Because man, it's hard to break into any kind of writing. Never mind creative writing. We, we definitely, we went through that. They were like, and I didn't realize, I think, that you could major in creative right. writing. And uh, not only that, yeah, I went to, went to, like, <laughs> to Brown. Not a cheap school, and, man. Uh, I can imagine your parents going, no, you, you majored in what? <laughs> yeah, you got into an Ivy League school and you left with what to pay? And like, uh, the, the, I, the I, maybe they were relieved because I went there because RISD was yeah. right there. And the rumor was you could take classes at both. And you could. What they don't tell you is that they're on completely different schedules. So they're on one is on a semester and one is on a trimester. And so it's, it's incredibly hard to coordinate because you have to make room you like over a vacation to stay in the the dorms or stay rent a place. And it's all, it was crazy when I was there for that. So anyway, but I wanted to be a comic artist. So I wanted to write and draw my own stuff all the way through college. And I had a portfolio. Yeah. And the whole thing. So maybe they were like relieved that it was like, at least he doesn't want to do comics (laughs) or whatever it is. Like at least he can write something. Maybe he'll write for a journal for a, you know, a newspaper or whatever, because when I got back, they really pushed me hard to start working at publishing houses and all these jobs that were awful. And I worked at a bunch and interned and then worked in the slush room and all that kind of stuff. And it was just miserable. Although I did read some amazing slush books. My favorite was this one, like my job was to like read the unsolicited right. mail. So it was like manuscripts that come from anywhere in the world that just come there with no right. warning. Like, no, this is like pre-9/11. pre Please write, please them. read my book. I really want to be published. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them were like loose leaf and some of them were, it's like, just, this was like, nobody wanted this job. <laughs> and I loved it at, at a certain point because they were so ridiculously passionate and weird and like completely hopeless. And there was like one book that was like about, cloning jesus from the cloth of turin which is fine the shroud of turin which is found but when they clone him when they clone him he's like nothing he's like really small he's like tiny he's like four foot one and like all kind of gnarly and so like the so the whole book is about them trying to reveal hide him from the groups that want to kill him because they're don't want it revealed that he's been like he's here and he's human and so there was this one scene I still remember. And there, the whole book is like them shuffling Jesus around like right. E.T., like in these blankets, <laughs> you know, whatever. And he's like this tiny thing. And there's this like one part where they're on a swamp boat. They're on these like swamp boats with the big fans like going. And they're being chased by this mysterious cabal of people like shooting at them. And they're like, oh, my God, you know, we're running out of thing. And Jesus is like, I got this. And he throws off the blanket. <laughs> and he takes up one of the machine guns and he's like, <laughs> And I was like, greenlit. 
this book is greenlit according to me in the sludge. Oh room. my awesome. god, and, that is uh, awesome. <laughs> so, oh man. Anyway, they and there was one I remember still. I took. I still have some of the photocopied like covers that I saved yeah. for myself. One was a cookbook for people that have no teeth, and it was all about blending. <laughs> was, the whole thing was like blending stuff. It was, like, oh anyway, my god, that's awesome. <laughs> It was literally called gumming it down for a cookbook for people with no teeth. Oh, and I great. was like, this is, <laughs> if I ruled the world, these oh, two books. But anyway, God. so my parents were like that. And they were like, you know, they were trying to make some desperately practical path yeah. out of it. And I was like, I know what I need to do. I need life experience. And so I went down to like Florida uh, and I was like, I wanted to work at the Weekly World News, which was that newspaper. It was like Bat Boy and Aliens. Do you remember this? It was like run by the Inquirer for a while. Yeah, I remember that one. Like, oh, yeah. It was like all total yeah. fiction. Oh, yeah. And I got there and they took, they actually took me, but then they had to fire me because they were having a leak at the Inquirer, which was like their parent company. So they couldn't have any new hires. And I was like, shit, I came all the way down here. What am I going to do? And I'm like, all right, I'll go work somewhere. And they're like, you know, Disney World like hires that day. The, the same day and i was like really so i went and i like went to disney world and i was hired like immediately as a janitor and i worked as a janitor there for almost a year and then i went from being a janitor to a character i was buzz Lightyear and eeyore and pluto <laughs> and that and then my parents i was like because at this point i was doing it just to push my parents also and be like you know like uh, you, you're always supportive. I'm going to make you not supportive. Cause, you know, and my parents who were so mercilessly supportive, even when they're really worried and unhappy with my life choices, came down and took pictures with me as Pluto. And I was like, oh, I give up. It's done. And they, I can't shake them. I wound up making a deal with them, which was that I would apply to grad schools. And I, I didn't think I'd get in. And I wound up getting in in New York. And I came back to New York and went to school at Columbia for writing and that's where i that's met my awesome. wife and that's awesome. yeah that's so i ever since then i i took it really seriously once i went to school and you know i it was that was where it was like you're really incurring you're incurring debt and <laughs> you're like you know this is i have to stop yeah. looking around and make this serious you know so and i taught you know so i got real like job i was you know teaching high school and i was tutoring right and left and all kinds of stuff to try and make ends meet while I sent stuff out and tried to get a break in the book world. Cause it's weird because in my, in comics, I had like the luckiest ride in the world. You know, I was so, I came in and it was like, it was a struggle to get American vampire through. But once it was through DC just swept me up and was like, here's Batman, here's this. And like I said, I was so terrified and unready yeah. for all of it. And, you know, but it's been a rocket ship ride since, but books was where I had more of a like conventional conventional you know five-year struggle of sending hundreds of things out and getting rejected and all that stuff yeah that was that my and my my parents my dad is so cute he's like first at the comic store and all that stuff that's awesome and you know they knew the weirdest part is that this is what i always wanted to do since i was little i just didn't know how to do it if i couldn't draw like i didn't i didn't have any faith in breaking into the industry as a comic book writer without art without an artist and this was in the days before the internet was really anything um significant so there wasn't really a sense on my part that you could make comics on your own except for like really underground comics and i didn't i didn't know what to do and so i really just fell and recommitted myself to writing and was doing short stories and you know trying to write books and that stuff yeah it's kind of my weird circuitous way yeah what do, what do your parents think now i know your dad's going to the comic book store but are they happy with how things turned out and oh like, yeah wow you really can make it that way 
Yeah, they, they love it. They love it. You know, they're really, they're, they're, I've accepted their support and given up on trying to upset them. And they're very sweet. Uh, we're very close. They still live in like my high school apartment in New York in yeah. the city. And up until recently, it looked like I died when I was like 16, where everything was like the embarrassments <laughs> of high school, like pinning me on the wall. And they finally redid it because now I have kids and they remade it a playroom for like so kids. They but, still had your room put uh, together up until a few years ago? Yeah, it was pretty wow. recently. It was the same. Yeah, because you and I are very close in age. I was born in '74, so yeah. I couldn't imagine my mom still having my room. <laughs> my sister's was still up until almost now is still what wow. it was. It's more of a guest bedroom, but it's the bones of it are still like still there. You know, teenage girl. Yeah, so it's funny. They're very. They're like third generation New York City people, and they just you know they're just. They're very much in their ways. They're awesome. There was a question I wanted to ask you, and now I can't. Oh, your first like real published work in the comic book realm was uh, Voodoo. Help me out here. That was books. That books. was books. That was my first book. What yeah. does that book mean to you now? Because that paved your way uh, to get going, I mean, right? It did, yeah. I love looking at it. It's like such a time capsule. It's I see so much of what I do now in like nascent form back then, and I was so still finding my voice and and that I was young you know I was I wrote that when I was you know I, I started writing those stories when I was in my early 20s so they're very much about like uh the terrors and wonders of falling in love but done in twisted horrific yeah. ways like in the stories but but trying to figure out what it means to to let go of your childhood and accept that you're not who you wanted to be but trying to find a way through that and you know, all that stuff, like human ugliness, just the kind of loss of, I, I love, I, I really, it's, I, it's a fascinating thing to go back and look, because there's a lot I'm proud of with it. And a lot I cringe at that I wrote, but at the same time, I'm, what I'm proud of with it is that like, when I sold it, I got one of these book deals that was like for that and a novel after it. And so they wanted me to just hand it in. And I had this like terrible moment when I was about to hand it in. I had, you know, I, the years leading up to selling it, we had gotten married and I had moved out. We had moved out of the city and uh, I was really unhappy because my wife was in medical school and she was, you know, out yeah. every day. And my work, I had sold this book, but until I had sold it, I was just struggling, uh, not knowing if I was ever going to make it and all this stuff. And I sold it and I suddenly had this like realization that I felt that it was phony, like that it was a lot of stuff that I knew was popular at the moment and that I, I could do, but wasn't as heartfelt as I wanted. And so I approached the publisher and was like, can I take away half the book and redo it? And they were really nice. They didn't want me to, but they That's were really cool. nice. And then I, I wrote the title story and I wrote a bunch of stories in there that were much more dark and about the kind of feelings I had been having. And so I love going back and looking at it because I think for me, it was like a, I remember it as the thing that was like scary to go to Random House and say, can I redo the thing you right. just bought? And, and they were, you know, but it, it set a path for me that made me feel that, one the most important thing, regardless, is you know making something you're yeah. proud of that's personal to you. And I feel like I always try. I've tried in comics for you know. I, I, there's nothing I'm not proud of that I've done, even when I know I've screwed up the execution, because I do promise. Like I've never gone into a story without it meaning something to me right. personally. Right. You know, and that I've never done anything for like the money or phoned it in. You know. Uh, <laughs> how weird was it to have Stephen King call out to your stories? Oh, super weird. The other thing, like, and then having him on American Vampire was crazy weird because, you know, I didn't think he wasn't supposed yeah. to do that. Like I sold it and then 
And then I, they asked me to ask him for a blurb. And so I asked them for a blurb and then he read it and was like, I'd like to do an issue of this sometime. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you know, I'd like, I'll do it now if you want. And I was like, I went, called them and I remember leaving the message after office close on Friday. And then like Monday morning at 8.55 a.m. I got a call from like the whole office being like, did you just say Stephen King would write an issue of American Empire? <laughs> and then as he was doing it, he like expanded it and kept expanding it. And he was really funny. He'd be like, hey, I'm going off the res a little bit with this, but I hope you like it. And it just got bigger and bigger until it was half the arc. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm so excited. This is great. And then you can see where he broke off from our outline. Our outline went up to when Skinner popped out of the coffee yeah. underwater. And then everything after that is like him making it up. And, and I, then I had this moment of total terror where I was like, I'm writing my first comic book next to Stephen King and everyone's going to love his part and hate my part. And I'm never going to work again. And it's going to be that simple. And, and so I lived in dread of that the whole time, but he's been nothing but the best advocate dude. And he's such, he's so nice. Their whole family is great. Owen is, you know, a close friend and Joe is great. And, they're fantastic. I can't say enough good things. You know about what I love about Joe Hill is I didn't know he was Stephen King's son until well after I had already read his yeah. work and I loved it. And then somebody goes, you know, that's Stephen King's son. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and we had, <laughs> I, I embarrassed myself. Owen, his son, I didn't know it was his son. And I, we had been friends for a bit already for yeah. a few weeks and he went to the same writing school as me. So when we were one day, we were walking along the road and uh, we went up into we went up with a couple friends to Pennsylvania to just you know fuck around and uh, we were walking along the road and I made some comment to him that was like you know let's get off the we're too it's too rural up here like you're gonna get hit by a car and he's oh yeah like that happened to my dad <laughs> he got hit by a van and I was like yeah let's be king and he was yeah. like. <laughs> He was literally like he was like yeah that's my dad and I was like shut up man <laughs> and he was like Scott he was like look at my face. I'm from me and I look like him, don't I? And I was like, what? And he does. He looks just like him. Yeah. And then I'm like, holy shit, you're not, you, you must be messing with me. And then he was like, no. And so it was crazy. Yeah. He's, it was very intimidating meeting his dad, but they're the, once you do like their whole family. That's awesome. Great. He's there. Yeah, you know, do you know the author, Christopher Golden? Yeah. I know yeah. the name. So he's, yes. he's done some I work with Amber Benson, who was on Buffy. He's a very prolific writer. He writes a ton of stuff. But he did some work with, he does a lot of work with Mike Mignola. And yeah, he oh, does yeah? a ton of work with Mike nice. Mignola. And he did some work with Joe Hill. And he had him over for a barbecue at his house. And the same thing happened to him. He was, they did the barbecue. Joe comes over. He leaves. And one of his other writing buddies comes over and goes, I didn't know you knew Stephen King's son. He's like, what are you talking about? That guy that he was like, that's Joe. He's not Stephen King's son. He's like, yeah, he is. Oh my God. <laughs> I could just imagine. <laughs> they're they're great. Yeah, the whole they're just like there's not a bad thing to say about yeah. any of them. Tab Tabitha too. They're That's great. Awesome. Scott, man, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. I think it's uh Yeah, I can keep talking too if you want for oh, like man. 10 minutes or yeah, whatever. Man. Let's do it. Shoot the shit. Why not? <laughs> oh yeah, man. I, I, I love <laughs> yeah. it. Are you kidding? I didn't want to take I didn't want to monopolize your time, you know. I'm here. Anything you want to know. <laughs> so when you start working on Batman and for the new 52 and you had the whole, the owls and working with Capullo, were you surprised how much that series just people love that run? Court of Owls is amazing. Oh yeah. No, I, I mean, I, you know what so mean? I, I don't know yeah. anybody. Yeah. Who does not, when they look, when I think of Batman in the last 20 years, if it's not hushed by Jim Lee, it's Scott Snyder's run on Batman new 52. 
you know? Oh, thank you. No, I, I really, I, I lived like my life in abject terror through that whole, yeah. <laughs> those whole first couple of years because I really did. Imposter syndrome doesn't no. go away, but it really was like, I like was an imposter in the way that I was like, I just had such guilt about getting the dream job so quickly and feeling terrified that I was unprepared for it. And it was like a curse in the, in a way. Cause I was like, you get your favorite character, but you don't feel good enough to have earned that yeah. role yet. And I just, I really came close to ruining my marriage over it where I was just like, I slaved on that thing all the time. Like just, you know, I just all like round the clock, five rounds of letters on everything. I overdid it. I'm sure there are things that probably would be better for less effort and scrutiny, but it was crazy. So the weirdest part was like finally stepping back and seeing that people were enjoying it as opposed to having my nose so pressed to it that I was just, I all, because all that mattered, I was so convinced that they were going to kick yeah. me off after detectives. And I was so convinced that I was going to get kicked off after somewhere in the middle of court of owls, if not at the end that I just was like, this is all I'm ever going to get to say about Batman and maybe ever at DC comics. So I have to put, it has to be like me swinging for the fence as hard as I can with everything I've wanted to do. And that's it. And make it the best thing I can make it. And that's Knocked it. it out of so the park. thanks. Yeah. It was really, it was like round issue you yeah. know, five when it, the book turned around where I started to actually sit back and be like, Oh, people are enjoying this and, and looked up from the computer and it was wild, you know? So seeing it in other medium and seeing it, you know, seeing kids wear the mask and all that stuff is like, it just yeah. blows you away. I can't, I having any, being any part of the Batman mythos, you know, you can die happy. I mean, I feel is like Batman, you know, there's so many moments like along the way that year. I remember too, like meeting Adam West yeah. and all this stuff for the first oh, time. Dude. And everything. he like they DC wanted to introduce us, and I was so excited. And I they brought me up to him in San Diego, and he was facing the other direction. And they said someone whispered to him. They were like, "Oh, this is Scott Snyder, he writes Batman." And he turned around, and I knew you know, of course, he didn't know who right. I was or anything. But he turned around and he's like, "Scott," and he's wearing like a velvety blazer with you know cravat <laughs> yes. thing and the sunglasses the yellow sunglasses and he's scott now it's a party <laughs> i was just like i was like i don't care if they fire me after quarter hours i can die happy me and kevin conroy yeah you know, like the whole thing just, geeking out. just like yeah i was like that was it and i like look to, to be totally honest too i feel i look back at that period i was pretty self-destructive like in my like private yeah. life in terms of I was so stressed with that stuff. I just was always like looking to self-destruct, I think in certain ways. And I'd go to a con and the pressure of seeing that they, cause I always thought of it like this. I'm like, I could never think about it being out in the world because when you think of a hundred thousand people reading a book, which was, you know, the new 52 pushed such a spotlight on it. It was getting that kind yeah. of readership. It was like, you know, three Yankee stadiums. And I'm like, I just pictured myself on the mound of three stacked up Yankee stadiums. And I'm like reading them my comic on a microphone. And all of a sudden, it's like, sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And you're like that, you know, conventions were like that for me in my mind, my, my nightmare convention. So it was always like, you know, I drank too much yeah. of them. And I was like, you know, just always. And I fought with my bosses a lot. I wasn't the best behavior. I didn't. I never fought. Yes, I did not. I was never like a, you know, a Tristan Bale yelling at the lighting person <laughs> or yelling at. I was never like, I never fought with, as far as I could, I'm pretty positive that I never had a, like fought in any nasty way with anyone who wasn't my right. big boss. 
But yeah, those first couple of years, it, it was actually Marvel, not to get too in the weeds, but the, uh, yeah, I remember exactly when it was, I was like, it was at New York Comic-Con, my, it was like, you know, first year in Batman pretty much. And uh, so it was at the end of the Court of Owls. And I was just like, and I was just really fighting with Dan about all kinds of stuff because he wanted to change the yeah. ending and, and all the, all this, he really wanted to change it so that Batman solved the mystery and they knew he wasn't his brother and he captured all the Court of Owls. But then it's just like a lot more happy right. ending. And I just really, Sounds the whole point of the story is that, you know, it's, yeah, some things remain yeah. a mystery is the whole point. It's history is always going to be a mystery. So anyway, the idea is I was at the DC party and I'm like talking to Dan DiDio and I'm with my wife, but I'm like really getting heated about this thing. And I'm like yelling at Dan and yelling at Dan. And people are starting to say, you know, just stop. And I'm like, no, because this is why. And da, 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 I'm pointing my finger. And eventually, Will, who's my editor on, like I said, on Best Jacket, pulled me away and was like, come on, man, let's get out of here. You're, you're getting too worked up. Fine, whatever. Fuck this. Leave. Go to the Marvel party, <laughs> which is like, you know, eight blocks away. Right. And by the time I got to the Marvel party, everybody turned and was like, did you just get into a physical fight with Dan DiDio? <laughs> and it was like the rumor oh, that I had no. fought with him had had gone that fast across wow. town to there. And Twitter's a year. bitch, man. And I realized, yeah, and no, so I, I, it was even, I think this was like before Twitter was ever really anything, but the, but it wasn't like today. And then it was Tom Brevoort who like, I barely knew, but I knew him because he went to the same comic store as me here where I live out here in East of yeah. the city. And I had met him a few times and he reached out to me and was like, you got to get yourself under control. Cause like, you've got a great career, but if you're going to get a reputation for, being, you know, out of being a hothead and being out of whatever. And I really did. That was the moment he's a good I was guy. like, yeah, I, he's a great guy. I was like, you got to just own it. Own the fact that you're on this book. There's pressure. You're going to have to learn to live with it. You're going to have better work methods. Like, just do it. And we were pregnant at that point with our, about pregnant with our second kid and the whole thing. So that was like my yeah. growing up, you know, my, my growing up thing. But yeah, no, I, it was always scary, especially those, I, my memories of those first couple of years are very much wrapped up in like fear of screwing things up until about that point where it was like at the end of Court of Owls is when I finally started to be like, okay. And that's when I started to stretch things out. That, so it was like death it, of the family always had a second part. If I yeah. Could get, it sounds like you, you were know, on your way like, to self-prophesizing your downfall and that you were yeah, lucky to I, listen I, I to somebody was. and take the advice and actually heed it. No, I, I definitely, I tell you, like I was not, you know, I was, I think I, I've seen it with so many yeah. other creators too. And it's one of the reasons that I love teaching that class that I taught at multiple schools and then taught for DC was trying to impart personal experiential kind of was not wisdom, but just experiential kind of information or knowledge about, and being honest and saying, look, this is what you might feel as you're doing this stuff. You, you, this is, these are the pressures. This is the danger of going to a convention, not thinking of it as a yeah. workplace. This is the meaning. Don't get drunk in front of your bosses and be an idiot. This is the, this is the danger of doing this and this, you know, and this is the, when an editor, you know, comes in and changes 800, you know, chapters of your opus at the last second, this is all of that stuff, you know, I'm very proud of that aspect of my career is the thing I like yeah. the best, honestly, is, is the teaching and that. So yeah, that's, I definitely, I'm, I'm excited about this phase of my career, being able to be more open and honest about a that's lot of awesome. that stuff. Cause I wish somebody had gotten to me before Tom <laughs> Brevoort and that stuff. And my friends were, I just so, you know what? Them, it, so it was, it it's was hard. Fault. Sometimes like 
you have your best friend that you'll talk to and they can tell you exactly what you need to do, what you need to hear, and you won't listen. And then some complete stranger tells you something and you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. And it'll click. I don't know what it is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> it's so weird. I, 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 and, you know, meanwhile, yeah, it was, it's like, I think it was honestly the, the fact that I had such respect for him as an editor. He, and was, all this he stuff came and, on. And it was, and he was reaching out like he, if he was being mercenary, there's nobody that he would rather see right. screw up than the writer on right. Batman of the book that was doing well for DC at that but, moment. But he's, he's a, nice a Batman person fan. And he was like, dude, that shit. Yeah, yeah, he was just nice. We you had know, him. He's just a nice guy. He's always, we had nice him on. We talked about a bunch of Marvel stuff. We talked about a lot of things, but we spent most of the time talking about Star Blazers. Because he's a huge, <laughs> yeah, oh he's God. a huge Star Blazer fan. And I bonded over Star I'm Blazer a huge Star too. Blazer oh, fan. Yeah, Battleship. <laughs> Battleship Yamoto, the whole yes, he and I bonded over that too. I have a model. Oh, you have a model of it? I'm jelly. I want one. Yeah, I I grew up watching that. I had to watch it every morning, and I missed the bus repeatedly because they played at 7 a.m. here on the West Coast uh, in Seattle, Washington, and so (laughs) and then I'd have to run to my bus stop, and I missed the bus so many times in first and second grade because I had to see all of Star Blazers. And uh, yeah, man, I was, I love it. Love the design of it, yeah. the whole thing. I wish my kids would get into it, but then they're into like all other. Yeah. Compared to today's it. stuff, it looks, Fortnite. you know, it looks like sock puppets compared to today's stuff. I know they're, it's crazy how they're so into everything. The kids and they're, it's so fascinating to me how they consume entertainment. And then I'll leave you because I'm worried the yep. baby's going to wake up any second. And I don't want to have a harsh. No worries. But the, it's like watching my kids, like my 13 year old likes Cheers and his friends and him watch Cheers because they found so it on odd. Netflix or whatever. And <laughs> it's so odd like that there's, there isn't like a center. There's some things, but it's more, it's not like there's a kind of a fountain in the middle that they take from and anything. It's more like everybody ha- likes this direct kind of subjective experience where they go and they find what they like with their friends and that's their stuff. It's not the stuff on it Thursday night at nine o'clock on NBC stuff, you know, at all. And it's interesting, the impact on comics with that. That's, it's one of the things I've been thinking about a lot. One of the reasons we're trying all of these different models, like this Kickstarter one is that you feel like you have to, it's exciting as much as it's scary to be able to try things that are just new approaches to, you know, that gives something direct to fans. So I feel like everybody right now, especially wants authenticity, wants connection, Transparency. wants the feeling of getting it on the ground floor, wants something that you make that isn't blanketed with a kind of corporate, you know, yeah. filter in a way. And I think that's one of the things we need to do with DC is I think we, you know, Spider-Verse like beat us to it when the multiverse was part of what part of our mythology early on is that the idea that you can have a plurality of these characters that meet very different needs and different formats, like you can have, and they can exist simultaneously and you be celebratory without being, you know, conflicting or one doesn't have to kind of subvert the other. Miles Morales is doing that character exploded. and, And that whole movie was amazing and brilliant. Brilliant. And they're starting to see it where like Lego Batman is crazy popular yeah. at the same time as they're trying to do, you know, the the Snyder Batman stuff. It's that it's that like realization that I think we've been ducking because we've been afraid of isolating each part, like especially the direct market as what works best in the direct market and focusing on that and making sure that's healthy and strong and that the quality of the material going in is good and that the pricing format is good and then it's not really reliant on speculator market or variant covers or that stuff fully and just making real investments in the aspects of the direct market that work and then simultaneously other things but 
anyway, I should run because <laughs> uh, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't get off. But I would talk to you. Oh, for man, longer. you should really come back on it. because I'm going to leave you with one thing that I always think about when I think of DC. And, and I want sure. Cthulhu in the DC universe. I want Aquaman to be Cthulhu's herald and Dr. Fate to be the man that has to beat Cthulhu. Well, we have Bat Cthulhu and Aquaman rides him in Death Metal oh, 6. So. I'm going to so go check that out. <laughs> you you just made my night. <laughs> it's literally there. <laughs> you are the man. And he speaks in like crazy love. Yeah, it's right there. You see it. All right, Scott. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Let's yeah. do it again. And we're back. You know what's cool about what's that? this interview with Scott? What's that? He's one of our original bucket lists. He was. You're right. He's one of the names you put down the list before yep. we started. Yep. Neil Gaiman is one. Yep. Scott Snyder was another one. And there's three more. And I can't. I'm. 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 I'm blanking out here. Help me out. One of them was Kevin Smith. Yep. Kevin Smith, who we thought we had. We thought we had, but he he uh, he ghosted us. Well, but, uh, he has a good reason. He had a heart attack. It's hard to. I, I guess. I guess it's hard to you know. And then he got super busy after that. So yeah, I, I can't. But Scott I Snyder was one of our bigs because Quarter Owls. Yeah. So I I didn't read Batman for years, and Quarter Owls was like my reintroduction into Batman when I got back into comics. Yeah. And I was blown away by Quarter Owls, which got me into reading his uh, Swamp Thing run, which again is also an amazing Swamp Thing run, and. Oh, his American uh, just, Vampire stuff? Awesome. American Vampire stuff is so good, too. Yeah. Yeah. All he's, of it. I'm just, he was so cool. Yeah, he was really cool, really fun to talk with. As you can see, just super open, which is always nice. We try to keep get people on that just want to have a conversation. And, and that's gone. Yeah. We even said bye. And he said, no, I got more time. Let's talk more. And right. I was like, sweet, <laughs> let's do this. Let's do it. Let's keep going. You well, know? if we hadn't talked more, you wouldn't have found out about Bat Cthulhu. So... I know. How cool was that? I've, <laughs> I've, I have mentioned this on the podcast multiple. I even talked to Joelle Jones about it. Oh, did you? Yeah. And she was like, oh, that's, that is interesting. I'm like, I know. I want this so bad. And I keep telling people that are in the industry. And hopefully someone goes, I'm just going to run with it. Because I don't care. Take right. it. Use it. Do right. it. I'll just want- be happy that it's there. And then he comes back and says, issue six, back Cthulhu and Aquaman's writing. I'm like, oh, my God. Done. Now you have to get you have to get Death Metal Six now. <laughs> oh, definitely, dude. Are you kidding? Done, son. Oh, that was fun. I, what, I, I, did I you learn anything new about Scott in that interview? <clears throat> yes and no. So I always assumed he was just a really cool, down to earth guy because that's the way yeah. he appears online. Yeah, and what I've determined from him, like just reading his online persona, but he just grounded in the fact that he is just he's he's very aware of his ability, but also aware of, of that he. He was at right place, right time with his with his skill set, and got into Batman quickly in his career. As he mentioned, a lot of people don't go in and make their you know go right into Batman, you know. And he did, and wrote you know wrote some definitive stories. By the time he got to Fifty Two, he wrote Court of Owls, which Court of Owls has showed up now in cartoons. It looks like it's going to be in the new Batman, the Batman from Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson. It's you know he's expanded upon the Batman myth- mythos, and he was just I don't know. I just learned that he's a very humble, awesome dude. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to have him back on. I, I We're just going to bug him to come on all the time dude, to talk about idea. the stuff that he has going on. He has so much happening. Dude, I have an idea. Yeah. We get Tom Brevoort and Scott Snyder, and we do a, 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 Star, a Star Blazers oh, episode. 
That's a wonderful idea. <laughs> oh my God. Jeff Haas, get on it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Jeff Haas scheduled that. Tom Brevoort, <laughs> Scott Snyder, and us. Starbucks. And it'd be great because I can I'll actually watch it for the first time and then I'm gonna talk about it. Because I've never seen it. You've never seen oh. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing with Star Blazers, not to get off in the weeds here, but the thing with Star Blazers, it's it's not the animation. Though at the time the animation to me was fantastic. It's the story. It's the story. And it's the yeah. overall arcing story. And you really have to pay attention because they're gonna have some cheesiness because the nineteen seventies. Yeah. But the overall arcing yeah. story and the fact that you're watching something that was uh, one in Japan was geared more towards, I think, teenagers and young right. adults. But then in American audience, they took out a lot of death and some of the overall stuff. Because there's some sexual innuendo in the Japanese version that's not in the American version. Right, right. But even without that there, the fact that it was a serialized drama space opera geared towards right. kids that when everybody else was doing these toys and just doing stuff that wasn't, it just wasn't like that. You know what I mean? Exactly. If yeah. you missed an episode, you missed part of the story. And it really, right. that's why I had to see the next episode. You had, you had to do it. Yeah. Because you'd miss <clears throat> part of it. And they have one of the greatest villains of all time, Deathlock of the Gamelons, right. who looks like Jeremy Irons. And I'm like watching <laughs> it. I'm like, I, if they do an Americanized version of this, because Disney owned the rights to it for a while. And it's like, I remember. Did a killer. They could have Jeremy Irons be Deathlock. It would be amazing. Anyways, I uh. digress. I digress. Yeah, no, but we should do an episode with us with Brevoort and Steiner because that'd be so much fun. Yeah, yeah, it would be a but. lot of fun. Okay, guys, I hope you really <laughs> enjoyed that. Go check out the Kickstarter. Johnny and I just backed it. It looks yep. awesome. And just it if does. you go to Kickstarter, just look up Scott Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R. You know how to spell Scott. And yep. it'll pop right up. And it's actually they'll one of the ones they left. There's only show notes to it too. Yeah. Today, as we recorded, there's only 16 days left. So this means this episode is coming out tomorrow because we're going to rush it. That means there's only 15 days left to get in on the behind the scenes stuff. Now that you doesn't mean do it. It looks you're awesome. going to miss out on getting the book if you want, because you heard Scott talk about retailers having the option to purchase things at cost to be able to sell in their store, which is which is yep. a great idea, I think. Yeah. Especially with I somebody and the reasonings that he's doing it this way is to give the ability to, especially with everything going on with this pandemic, to have that cash in hand to be able to pay for everything. It's right. huge. And I think I, I think we'll start seeing more people doing things like this. I think so too. Yeah. I, I think I, so too. I, I think it's cool. And yeah, me too. You know, so go check it out. I highly, you know, advise you to, to at least look at it. And if you don't like it, or maybe you can't afford to back it, then you know, share it out on your social media because somebody else might yep. really appreciate it. Yeah, share it out because the sharing helps a ton. Yep, helps so us do too. That. Share this episode out. Yeah, share this episode out and help us by sharing it and telling all your friends to come listen to a spoiler country because you know we're the best podcast out there with Kendrick and I as hosts. That's right. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. If you liked our conversation with Scott, we got more coming that's going to blow your mind. But at the same yeah. time, go check out our back issues. There's tons of cool stuff there. So much cool stuff on our show and all the other shows in the Spoilerverse Network on there. Uh, tons of awesome back issues there and articles and previews and reviews from all of our writers. And there's a store up there. You can click on, get a t-shirt, get a hoodie, a face mask, a sticker. Fly as hell. Uh, fly, yeah, thank you. You can fly as hell. And uh, we get a few bucks, help keep the lights on here. And, you know, you get to get the awesome badge of awesomeness. Awesome badge of awesomeness. I love it. Not a real badge. As... 
as Mike Peacock at Misery Point Radio likes to say, piles and piles of awesomeness. There you go. <laughs> All right. I think that's a show, man. That's a show, man. One more thing to do for you. That's right. In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to, as Bat-Cuthu, Bat-Thulhu, <laughs> Bat-Thulhu compels you Bat-Thulhu. to, open the mind and read more. And read Outsiders Death Metal and Nocturnal One, because they're awesome. Yeah. Like, seriously, read just read. <laughs>